Does truth exist? Because you have faith, does that make this book true? Does God exist? So when someone says there is no truth, if you apply the claim to itself, what should you say? Is that true? They don't think Christianity is true. They're talked out of it. You know why they're talked out of it? Because they've never been talked into it. Cross-examining skeptical and atheistic views. Welcome to Cross-Examine with Dr. Frank Turek. As we sit here, ladies and gentlemen, on Saturday morning, November 7th, President Stee is still a question mark, although it looks like uh, Vice President Biden has the upper hand in terms of votes in the battleground states. The question is, are those legitimate votes? There appears to be some smoke out there. Is there fire? And how much of a fire? We don't know. We are just going to have to be patient. The litigation will happen. It will probably take weeks to sort all this out. But no matter what happens, ladies and gentlemen, and by the way, I'm going to leave the uh, analysis of this to uh, other people, to the experts as to really what is going on with regard to uh, voter fraud, if that actually has occurred, and if it has occurred in uh, a big enough manner to uh, change the, at least what appears to be the outcome right now. Uh, that's what litigation's for. That's why we have courts. Uh, I will say it does seem a little bit strange that the major cities in Democrat um, or in battleground states like Milwaukee and Detroit and Philadelphia and Atlanta all stopped counting at the same time, approximately, apparently. And then everything seemed to go negative after that for President Trump and positive for Vice President Biden. It's just interesting. And, you know, there are allegations flying all over the place. I'm not going to entertain any of them right here, right now, because I don't have enough information. And that's what litigation's for. So we're going to see what happens. That's why we have a court system. But no matter what happens, Remember that you have much more in common with your political opponent than you don't. Yes, yes, yes. You may have made a real good case for your side. And it's frustrating that some people see it differently. At least half the country sees it differently than you do or than I do. At least apparently. But look, we're all made in the image of God. Christ died for all, including people you disagree with politically. We are all on a journey. In many different ways, we're on a journey spiritually, emotionally, mentally, politically, personally, socially, and we shouldn't expect everyone to be at the same place we are right now, no matter what political side you're on, no matter who you think's right or wrong with regard to these issues. In fact, you might not even agree with the, ver- the version of you that existed five or 10 years ago. I mean, people sometimes ask me, Frank, you know, you're to college campuses and You get a lot of questions from young people, which I do, and you can see just about every one of these interactions on our YouTube channel, cross-examined YouTube channel, two words, cross-examined. There's almost 900 short videos up there of Q&As from the college campus. And a lot of people say, oh, Frank, you're so patient with these young people. How can you be so patient? Well, why shouldn't I be? Why should I expect a a, a 20 or 25-year-old young man or woman to agree with me on everything? Why, Why would I expect that? I mean, when I was 20 or 25, I didn't necessarily agree with my current 58-year-old self either. So why would I why would I expect somebody 
uh, to, to agree with me on everything. I don't know where they came from. I don't know what their life experience is. I don't know what kind of education they've had. I don't know. I don't know why they view things the way they do. Why should we think the worst in people? Why should we always think that the reason somebody disagrees with me is because they're just ignoring the facts? Well, maybe they are, but maybe they're not. Maybe they don't have the facts. Maybe, maybe they're just not in the same place I am because they've had a different life experience and they've had different opportunities and different outlooks and different interests. And look, we all grow at different rates and in different ways. We shouldn't expect everyone to agree with us on religion. We shouldn't expect everyone to agree with us on politics or in several other areas of life. We shouldn't. So we should have grace and patience and tolerance and say, hey, okay, let's talk this out. Let's, let's look at the evidence together and see where it leads. Now, true, some people are even going to resist evidence. Okay, we get that. Why? They have an emotional resistance, a volitional resistance, a moral resistance. Maybe. Maybe you do, too. You don't know sometimes. So we have to treat everyone like they're made in the image of God because they are. No matter what happens politically, no matter what happens with elections, we have to treat everybody with the same kind of respect we expect to be treated with. We're all made in the image of God. Now let's go to uh, the Bible. You guys heard of the Bible? Yeah. Let's, let's go to the New Testament. Let's go to 1 Peter. And as you know, first Peter, Peter's dealing with suffering in his time and he's giving, he's giving insights or he's giving revelation on how to deal with suffering. And here's what he says in chapter two. He said, he said, submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as the supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and commend those who do right. Okay. Stop right here. This is the main purpose of government to commend the good and prevent the evil. Or as Paul says in Romans 13, the ruler doesn't bear the sword for nothing. The main role of government is to prevent evil. That's why the government is there. Without government, we'd have anarchy and we'd have innocent people getting hurt. That's why we have a government. Now you can argue, okay, who's going to do a better job of that? Yeah, obviously we've had rioting and looting and, and, and some Unfortunately, some governments, some governors, some mayors haven't stepped up. We understand that. By the way, one of the outcomes that appears anyway of the election is that the folks who were uh, dealing or, or not, uh, well, let me just put it this way. The folks who were say they were for socialism and defund the police didn't do as well as they thought they would do. <laughs> Let's just put it that way. Um, so at least that's one good thing that has come out of this. The idea that socialism and defund the police is a good idea, at least at the House of Representatives level, was pretty much rejected. Not to say there aren't far leftists who are saying that who are still in Congress. They are. There are some, there, there are some people that can do whatever they want in their districts because their districts are so far left or even sometimes so far right. It doesn't matter what they do. They're going to get reelected. We understand that. But there are people on the margins that lost who didn't think they would lose. This is why there was one Democrat politician, I can't remember her name, she was a couple of days ago on a conference call that was leaked to the media. It was a, a Democratic caucus. And she said, um, let's never use the word socialism again. Let's never use the phrase defund the police again. She said, because many of our members who were good members are now gone because of those, of, of that, of those two words or those two phrases, socialism and defund the police. In any event, 
here's what else Peter says. This is first Peter three. He says, live in harmony with one another, be sympathetic, love as brothers, be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing. Now, why am I saying this? Because regardless of what happens politically, first of all, we're going to let the process work out and submit ourselves to the result either way. You say, Frank, what if, the, what if in the end you're still convinced that the final result is wrong? Or that the election was stolen or the election's fraudulent? Either way, look, I could see Trump supporters or Biden supporters, no matter how this turns out, half the country is going to say the result is wrong. What are we supposed to do as Christians? Live in harmony with one another. Be sympathetic. Love as brothers. Be compassionate and humble. Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult, but with blessing, because this is what you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. For to this you were called, so that you may inherit a blessing. And then Peter quotes from Psalm 34. He says, whoever would love life and see good days must keep his tongue from evil and his lips from deceitful speech. He must turn from evil and do good. He must seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are attentive to, the, to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Look, people may get away with something politically. There may be injustice that's done. That might happen here. But Paul says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Do what you can to get justice. If it doesn't work out, leave justice in the hands of God. I'm Frank Turk. We're back in just two minutes. We're live this morning. Don't go anywhere. We're back in just two. Friends, can you help me with something? Can you go up to iTunes or wherever you listen to this podcast and give us a five-star review? Why? It will help more people see this podcast and therefore then hear it. So if you could help us out there, I'd greatly appreciate it. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek on the American Family Radio Network. Our website is crossexamined.org. That's crossexamined with a D on the end of it, .org. I want to mention on next week, I'm going to be out at Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills with my great friend, Jack Hitch, the pastor of Calvary Chapel, Chino Hills. I'll be doing all three services. That's the plan anyway in the morning uh, of the 15th, I think it is, of November I think I'm going to be talking about why Jesus is the only way. So hopefully you guys who are in the uh, Southern California area can join us. Jack has been having a church uh, there. He's been doing church uh, live for the past, uh, I think, ever since like Memorial Day. And he's got thousands and thousands of people going because many other churches remain closed under governor's orders. And Jack is saying, well, we're going to obey God rather than man, and he keeps going. So I hope to be a part of that next week. Hope to see you out there. We're talking today right now about what's going on with regard to the election. I'm about to shift gears here in a minute, but before I do, I want to complete the thought that we were talking about before the break. I was reading actually from 1 Peter chapter 3. And you know, 1 Peter chapter 3 is the passage that apologists always use, always ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. You know, you know what the context of that is? The context is when you are undergoing suffering. And if you think that uh, this current political result with regard to the presidential election is going to cause suffering to you one way or the other, here is Peter's charge to you. He said, who is going to do you harm if you are eager to do good? But even if you should suffer 
For what is right, you are blessed. Do not fear what they fear. Do not be frightened. But in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against you, against your good behavior in Christ, may be ashamed of their slander. It is better if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. Let me say that again. It is better if it is for if it if it is God's will to suffer for doing good than doing evil. Even if you think the result of this election is fraudulent. Either way, whether Biden wins or Trump wins, just do what is right. Even if you have to suffer for it. Act like a Christian. Don't get into, <laughs> to, um, shall we say, undignified debates uh, and treating people disrespectfully, personally, or on social media. There's no reason to do that. Okay, even if you, even if you know you and your side have been wrong, have been wrong. In fact, I love what. Lincoln was asked once during the Civil War, do you think God is on our side? And Lincoln said, let us just pray we are on God's side. And if you want to be on God's side, you need to treat everybody with respect. Even if you think they're, they're wrong, even if you think they're lying, even if you think they're cheating, you treat them with respect. You'll tell them the truth, but you'll treat them with respect. We ought to do that. You know, a quote by J.I. Packer is appropriate at this point. In fact, my friend Amy Hall over there at Stand to Reason had this in a recent blog. She's quoting J.I. Packer, and uh, she was actually posting this on the day of the, the election. Here's what Packer said. Check this out. Quote, whatever cultural shifts take place around us, whatever sociopolitical concerns claim our attention, whatever anxieties we may feel about the church as an institution, Jesus Christ crucified, risen, reigning, and now in the power of his atonement, calling, drawing, welcoming, pardoning, renewing, strengthening, preserving, and bringing joy remains the heart of the Christian message, the focus of Christian worship, and the foundation of Christian life. Other things may change. This does not, unquote. Yes, it does not. No matter what happens in an election, Christ is still on the throne and your future is secure. In fact, John, or the Gospel of John, records Jesus in John 16 saying, so you'll have sorrow now. He's speaking of the fact that he's about to be crucified, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. I have said this to you that in me, you may have peace in the world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world in this world. You will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Yes, Jesus has overcome the world regardless of what happens to the United States politically, regardless of what may even happen to you personally, even if this is going to cause you suffering. Regardless of what happens, your ultimate future is secure. Now, I want to shift gears a little bit. Well, not completely. But I do want to talk about why socialism doesn't work. We haven't talked about this in a while. We've hinted at it here or there. And this is one of the outcomes of the election. It appears that most Americans, well, I don't know if I could say most, but at least a, a, a majority of Americans realize that socialism is not the way to go. This is even why some 
some leftist Democrats are saying, let's not even talk about socialism anymore because it it hurt us in the election to even talk about it. But why doesn't it work? And how does this relate to the Bible? Well, one thing we have to start doing is educating our children on economics because they're not going to be taught the right view in school, unfortunately. And uh, the best book you can get on this, and I've had this gentleman on our program before. In fact, I had him on a couple of weeks ago talking about a different book. His name is Jay Richards. His book is called Money, Greed, and God. It is the best book you will read on economics anywhere. And he folds in, of course, the Christian viewpoint. And so let me, uh, I'll, I'll quote from Jay a few times here, but I have my, my, some of my own ideas on this topic. First of all, what is the definition of socialism? Well, actually, let me distinguish between three things. Let's distinguish between capitalism, socialism, and communism. And this is going to be a very broad distinction here. I'm not going into a lot of detail. But generally, in capitalism, you have private property. In socialism, you have government property, that the government owns the means of production. In fact, here's what uh, Richard says, and he says, this has been a disaster, by the way. He says, socialism doesn't mean disaster, meaning, well, let me back up for a second. Socialism and communism are related. Uh, in the sense that socialism is a means to communism, where socialism means that the government controls the property. Communism means that ultimately all property is communal and there is no government. Now, this actually has never been actually achieved in, in reality. Communism hasn't been achieved. There's always been a government involved. Uh, but the goal of ultimate Communism is the fact that there's no government and everyone just shares everything communally. Now, that this, this will not never work. It can't work. And we'll get into the reasons why as the program unfolds here. And you're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek, by the way. Our website is crossexamine.org. So the major difference here between capitalism, socialism, and communism, capitalism got private property, socialism, socialism government property, and communism is communal property. Now, what Richards has pointed out is that the move from capitalism to socialism through communism is really something, an, another philosophy that's related to this is Marxism. Marxism wants to move capitalist societies to socialist societies where government owns property, ultimately to communal property, communism. That's what, that's what Marxism wants to achieve. And Marxism believes that there's an oppressor class and an oppressed class and, uh, we need to flip that. The employers have been oppressing the employees and we need to, to flip that. That's a, a, a broad brush view at, of Marxism. The problem is when this has been tried to go from capitalism to socialism to, to communism, what ultimately happens is a lot of people get murdered. And here's what Jay Richard says in his book, Money, Greed, and God. He says, socialism doesn't mean no one controls the property. It means the state must confiscate and control whatever property is in private hands. It must coerce and kill since most people don't willingly hand over their property to aggressors. The communists tried to draw heaven down to earth. They brought up hell instead, unquote. What do we mean by that? Well, there's been 85 to 100 million people killed in the last century by communist or socialist regimes. And Mao and Stalin headed the biggest. China and the Soviet Union killed more people than the Nazis even killed. That's the communist death toll over the last century. 
And this won't work for a number of reasons. The reason socialism doesn't work and leads to death and murder, one of the reasons, well, several of the reasons are, is because socialism ignores what I call economics 101. Economics 101. What is the, what is the, <laughs> what is the essential thing or things you need to have an economy? Number one, most importantly, you need private property. This drives economics. And by the way, the Bible assumes private property. Thou shall not steal implies that you have a right to property. If everything was communal, you couldn't steal anything because the community owns it. So private property is assumed by the Bible. Thou shall not covet assumes that other people and you have the ability and the right to own things that other people don't. Otherwise, you couldn't covet anything. If you owned it all, you couldn't covet it. You couldn't covet it. If you couldn't, if you didn't have the right to private property, you couldn't steal, you couldn't covet. So it's assumed in the Bible, private property. And if people can't keep the fruits of their own labor to some degree, they are not going to be motivated to generate a robust economy. Private property drives economics. The second thing that socialism ignores is the rule of law. If you have a rule of law, where you can feel you can feel safe about investing in an economy that if you buy something the rule of law will protect you from theft and it'll protect you from others just coming in and taking your property or taking your money or taking your investment if you have the rule of law you can have an economy if you don't have a rule of law people are never going to risk their capital because it could be taken away from them too easily. So the rule of law brings security up and it brings harm down. And that allows people to engage in an economy. If you don't have the rule of law, if you have graft, if you have bribery, if you have corruption, people are not going to stick their necks out and do things that help an economy. Also, Number three, in addition to private property and the rule of law, socialism ignores the fact that free enterprise helps an economy. It increases value. If you don't have the ability to freely trade, you're not going to have a robust economy. And this is one of the reasons why communism and socialism don't do as well economically as capitalism. Without free enterprise, without free trade, you can't increase value as well as you can with it. And right after the break, I'm going to give you an irrefutable example of this. So don't go anywhere. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek and the American Family Radio Network. Right now, we're talking about a number of reasons why socialism doesn't work. And we need to educate our young people about this. Because if we want to have a robust economy for all, we can't go the socialistic way. We're back in two minutes. Don't go anywhere. If you find value in the content of this podcast, don't forget to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Join our online community to have great conversations, grow in your knowledge of God, and become a better defender of the Christian faith. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel where we have hundreds of videos and over 100,000 subscribers that are part of our online family. Find us by searching for Frank Turek or cross-examine in the search bar. You can find many more resources like articles, online courses, free downloadable materials, event calendars, and more at crossexamined.org.
Frank Turek with you, ladies and gentlemen. I have four questions for people who think socialism is a good idea. Number one, why do socialistic and communistic countries often build walls to keep people in? Question number two, why does the capitalist USA have to build walls to keep people out? Number three, why are there no migrant caravans going from the USA to Venezuela? Why is it always the other way? And finally, number four, why are you unlikely to ever wash a rental car? Hmm. Maybe because you don't own it. And if you don't own it, you don't care about it as much. Why is public housing not as well kept as private housing? Maybe because if you don't own it, you don't care about it as much. Why are the um, gas station bathrooms not quite as clean as your bathroom? Hmm. Because if you don't own it, you're not as likely to take care of it. And socialism doesn't work because it misunderstands human nature. And I'm going to unpack this a little bit further as we continue with the program here today. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turk on the American Family Radio Network. Marxism has not only failed to promote human freedom, it has failed to produce food, said John Dos Passos, who's actually an American novelist. Thomas Sowell, the great economist who's now 90 years old out of Stanford University, says this. Socialism in general has a record of failure so blatant that only an intellectual could ignore or evade it, unquote. <laughs> Winston Churchill, of all people, who saved Western civilization. I think he's the most towering figure of the 20th century. Said this about socialism and capitalism back in the House of Commons, just after the war, 1945. The war, the war that without him, we probably wouldn't have won World War II. Here's what he said. Quote, the inherent vice of capitalism is the unequal sharing of blessings. The inherent virtue of socialism is the equal sharing of miseries, unquote. He also said this in 1948, quote, socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy, unquote. Yeah, the gospel of envy. You have something I don't have. I want to have what you have. It's not fair that you have more than me. And so I want to bring everybody down so we're all equal economically. Well, that's never going to happen. It's impossible for it to happen. But people are trying to make that happen. And what happens is it's the equal sharing of misery. That's Winston Churchill. But let me go back to what I was talking about just before the break. And that is this idea of free enterprise. I said you need private property, a rule of law. You need free enterprise. How does this increase value? Teachers have done this with students. They have a classroom of uh, students and they, they give each student a toy, you know, something simple, a different toy. Every student gets a different toy. And then they ask the students to rate how uh, happy they are about the toy on a scale of, you know, one to 10. One, it's, I don't really like it, to 10, it's, it's wonderful, right? And they add up all the scores in class for a total, let's just say that the total comes to 500, right? And then they say, okay, students, now you can trade your toy with anybody else in the class. After they do all the trading, 
what do you think happens to the value? Because this teacher says, okay, how do you, how do you, how happy are you now? Scale of one to 10. Well, the value of everyone goes up unless someone decides they're already happy with their toy and they're not going to trade it. That value stays the same. But people who weren't happy can trade with other people who weren't happy. And then the overall value goes up. So now the class values say 700. Why? Because of free enterprise. Notice nothing's been created. There hasn't been any new material given. It's just been traded because people value different things at different levels. And free enterprise helps people do that. If you don't have free enterprise, you can't trade, which means the value doesn't go up as much as it can, as, as much as it could with free trade, with free enterprise. Number four, socialism ignores economics 101 because it ignores the fact that competition is necessary to motivate innovation and quality. What makes people better? Competition. Why can you... Um, get almost any car you want now to do almost anything because there's competition between car dealers, right? And you can get a high quality car. If there were no comp if there was no competition, if there was just one, say the government car dealer, government motors, how, uh, how good do you think the automobiles would be? This is why, by the way, school choice is necessary to improve our failing schools. You want to help minorities? School choice. Give parents the ability to send their kid to any school. Then you're going to see how much better education could be because competition breeds innovation and quality. Monopolies are not interested in competition. They want to they stop all competition and monopolies tend to get inefficient and quality tends to go down because nobody is holding their feet to the fire. If you have no place else to go for your product or service, then the person or entity providing the product or service doesn't have to give you the kind of product or service you really want. They're not motivated to improve. So you want to improve education? Put competition, put school choice in. Why can private schools educate students better for less money than public schools? Because of competition. Number five, you need self-interest and service. And you do that through private property, rule of law, free enterprise competition. And unfortunately, people tend to think that capitalism is based on greed, that greed makes things go. No, greed doesn't make things go. Self-interest makes things go. And self-interest is necessary for any functioning economy. Adam Smith, who wrote the classic book, The Wealth of Nations, in 1776, he lived in Scotland. I mean, this book goes back a while, right? Well, his, his quote here is probably quoted in every economics book worth its salt. Here's what he says about, about the fact that self-interest is what drives the economy, not greed. Quote, he said, it is not from the benevolence of the butcher, the brewer, or the baker that we expect our dinner, but from their regard to their own self-interest, unquote. In other words, a butcher, a brewer, or a baker have to serve their customers if they want to eat themselves. If they want to make money, they're going to have to, out of self-interest, serve their clientele. If socialism is put into place and the government owns everything, then there's no incentive to do that. 
I mean, obviously, nobody likes to go to the DMV. Why? Because it's the government. They're, they don't have the same kind of necessity to serve as a private entity does who has to compete with other private entities. So it's not greed that drives the economy. It's self-interest. And all of us act in self-interest. When you get up in the morning and you know brush your teeth, you're acting in self-interest. There's nothing wrong with self-interest. The Bible talks about be interested in yourself. Look after you, not only your own self-interest, but others as well. So it's not telling you don't look after your own self-interest, but also look after the interest of others as well. And by the way, you do that when you put a service or a product out in the economy that people want. You're serving people. And you can't do that to the same extent if the government owns everything. So this is economics 101 that socialism ignores. Also, the other brilliant point that Adam Smith brought up, you know, over 200 years ago, 250 years ago, the invisible hand. Have you heard of the invisible hand? This is one of the most incredible things in economics that socialism ignores, that top-down people ignore. Um, do you realize that there is nobody in the world, nobody at Apple that knows how to make an iPhone? Nobody knows how to do it. There's no one person that knows how to make an iPhone. Why? Because there's too many components to an iPhone. There's no one person that knows how to. Tim Cook over at Apple does not know how to make an iPhone. There is no engineer at Apple that knows how to make an iPhone from scratch. Where do you get plastic from? Where do you get this circuitry from? Where do you get these apps from? Where do you get the software from? How do you manufacture all this stuff? What tools do you need to do it? In fact, the iPhone is it has input from people all over the world, people who speak different languages, who don't even know one another, come together to put forth an iPhone. In fact, let's not even use the iPhone as an extreme example. Do you know there's nobody in the world that knows how to make a pencil? A pencil! What's in a pencil? Well, you got graphite in a pencil. Where do you get graphite? Sri Lanka. Really? Where? How do you, how do you find graphite in Sri Lanka? How do you mine it? What tools do you need to bind it? How do you do it? How do you process it? There's also wood in a pen. Where do you get wood? And how do you cut it in such a way that it turns into a pencil? And how do you get the graphite in the wood? And, and what about this brass kind of grommet thing at the top and the eraser? Where do you get that from? How do you process that? How do you get the tools to get the brass grommet to, to manufacture it? Where do you get brass from, by the way? And how about this rubber? Where do you... How do you how do you form it so it's like this round round thing at the top of the pencil? How do you get it to secure in the pencil and the writing on the side of the pencil? How is that engraved? How is that even done? Nobody in the world knows how to even make something as simple as a pencil. Well, how does it get done? Free market, the invisible hand. We don't even know how this works, but it works somehow. These things get done because individual people with individual expertise all silently and unknowingly invisibly contribute to a free market economy that seeks to create such things, and yet no one individual knows how to create it. This is why a top-down system where the government owns everything and allocates resources can never and will never work. There is no one who has the knowledge, 
the expertise or the time to direct all these resources to create a pencil, much less an iPhone. Yet that's what socialism believes. This is why years ago, when Mikhail Gorbachev, the leader of the Soviet Union, met with Margaret Thatcher, and she, he asked her, who feeds the British people? And Thatcher said, no one feeds the Jewish or the, uh, the British people. The, the price system does that. And he was baffled as a communist. What do you mean the price system? The free market system somehow feeds the British people? Yes. How? The invisible hand that Adam Smith talked about. Somehow this works. We don't even understand how it works, but it does. Much more on this when we come back. I'm Frank Turek. You're listening to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist on the American Family Radio Network. We're back in two minutes. Friends, Frank Turek here. I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist is a listener-supported radio program and podcast. So if you like what you hear here, would you consider donating to crossexamined.org? 100% of your donations go to ministry. 0% to buildings. We're completely virtual. So if you can help us out, we greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much. Welcome back to I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist with Frank Turek of the American Family Radio Network. Now you say, why are we talking about socialism today in the economy? What does that have to do with Christianity? Because as Christians, we got to be concerned with people and their economic well-being. And the best way to fight poverty is to actually create a system and advocate a system that helps all people actually make a living and get themselves out of poverty. The best way to do that is by creating a free enterprise capitalistic system that has controls on it. We need, obviously, we need a government to ensure that people aren't um, mistreating others. And we do need a safety net for people who can't work uh, for whatever reason. The problem is If we try and create a socialistic system here in America, a lot of people are going to be put back into poverty and capitalism or the ability to create wealth will evaporate because if you don't have the ability to to actually enjoy the fruits of your own labor, you're not going to generate wealth and help people get out of poverty. In fact, this was discovered at our founding, ladies and gentlemen, when William Bradford brought the pilgrims over. He lost about half the people the first winter. Why? Because he tried to use a communal farm where he said, okay, look, we're just going to have one farm. We're all going to farm it and we're all going to share in the food. After about half the people died in a very cold winter, partially due to starvation, he said, okay, this isn't going to work. This socialistic, communistic way of doing things isn't going to work. What we're going to do is everybody's going to get their own field. Whatever you farm and you grow, you keep. Well, they had more than enough food the second winter because he, he realized that socialism doesn't work. Why? Because you have a free rider problem. See, there's a free rider problem. This is the key reason that socialism doesn't work. We have a sin nature. The pilgrims recognized after the first winter, the sin nature would not allow a communistic or socialistic system to feed them because people are going to go, well, why should I work if John's going to work? I'll just mooch off him. There's a free rider problem here. In fact, um, you may have heard Karl Marx, a quote from Karl Marx. It, it, it went like this, from each according to his ability to each according to his needs, unquote. 
And this is essentially saying, look, everyone's going to work really hard, but only take what they need. That's what Karl Marx, Marx thought in a, in a socialistic or, commu- or communistic system. And the truth of the matter is that's exactly the opposite of what's going to happen because socialism misunderstands human nature. My friend, Neil Mammon, who's written a book called Jesus is involved in politics. Why isn't you, why aren't you, why isn't your church? Uh, and it cut, touches on this socialism issue. Here's a quote from him. And I think he nails the issue here. He says, socialism depends on people working as much as they can and only taking as little as they need. Yet in reality, human nature is such that we work as little as we need and take as much as we can, unquote. He has that right. That's human nature. And Jesus taught this. Jesus taught that our hearts are evil. In Matthew 7, he said, what comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. Far from within, out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual morality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. These are the things that come out of the human heart. He also said that men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. We're bent toward evil. It's easy to be bad. It's hard to be good. We're bent toward selfishness. And so we need a system that motivates us in our own self-interest or to take care of our own self-interest. Human nature is such that if somebody else will take care of us, supposedly, we're going to kick back. Not all of us, but many of us will. That's the free rider problem. Let me go back to what Churchill said about socialism. He said, socialism is the philosophy of failure, the creed of ignorance, and the gospel of envy. Notice what Paul says in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. He says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, and envying each other. Socialism is the gospel of envy. And Paul is saying, no, let's not create a system like that. Of course, he's talking about the fact that we don't want to be envying one another. I'm saying that socialism will create an environment of envy. In fact, that's what it's built on. So, no, socialism does not work because of the free rider problem and the fact that it misunderstands human nature. If human beings can't experience some of the fruits of their own labor, They are not going to work to the degree they would if they could experience the fruit of their own labor. The best way to get people out of poverty is to provide them with a system that will allow them to keep some of the fruits of their own labor. A rising tide lifts all boats. And if you kill the golden goose of incentive to work, nobody is going to benefit. We are going to share in misery equally, as Churchill said. There are several other things that socialism ignores. It ignores the ripple effect. What's the ripple effect? Well, let me give you an example. Minimum wage. People in Florida, for some reason, said they wanted (laughs) this past election, the minimum wage to be $15. Well, let me ask you a question. Why 15? Why not make it $100? Well, well, if you make it $100 and nobody will be able to hire any. That's exactly right. Why do you think 15 is the good level? You see, 
the minimum wage, or even some might say the living wage, you can't mandate that. That's not mandated. People have to value the work that's being done. You can't just say that every, say, janitor needs to make $100 an hour. Or every um, electrician needs to make $500 an hour. Or everybody, regardless of what they do, should make $100 an hour. Who can pay that? We can't. There's a ripple effect. If you increase the minimum wage too much, what happens? More people are unemployed. Because employers can't afford to pay people to do things that aren't worth that wage. You've got to have supply and demand dictate that. So there's a ripple effect. It's all well-intended. Oh, I'm, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that socialists aren't well-intended. They might be very well-intended, but the, the road to hell is paved with, with good intentions, right? Sure, it would be great if everyone could make $100 or $15 an hour, whatever it is. But you just can't mandate such things. You just can't pass a law and, and, and so, somehow the law is going to overpower human nature. Or a law is going to somehow make a job as valuable as the wage you've dictated. You just can't do that. It doesn't work that way. And by the way, the minimum wage is a floor. It's not a hammock. You don't stay there. I guarantee you that if you get into a company that's a robust company and a robust economy and you start at minimum wage and you start proving yourself, you're not going to stay there. They need good people. They're going to pay you a lot more than that if you bring more value to that entity than just a minimum wage value. Also, people like misunderstand tax rates. People think you can just increase tax rates and the revenue to the government's going to go up. No, it is not. I mean, it might to a certain extent. But I remember this way back in 2008 when uh, Senator Obama was running for president. Charlie Gibson of ABC News said, Mr. President, you want to, or Mr. Senator at that point, you know, I, I hear you want to increase the tax rates on capital gains. Yeah, I want to do that because it's the right thing to do, the fair thing to do. And Gibson said, well, actually, the, the, uh, the data show that if you reduce the rate, you're actually going to get more revenue to the government because it's going to encourage more people to invest and more people to engage in the economy. And actually, more revenue will come into the government with a decreased tax rate. And Obama said, well, that doesn't matter. It's just a matter of fairness. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> Hold on. Whoa, 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 whoa. The purpose of tax rates is to raise revenue for the government to pay for things that we all need. You know, roads, infrastructure, defense, those kind of things. It's not to, it's not to punish people or to come up with your subjective notion of fairness as to who pays what. If you want fair, pay the same rate. But that's not fair. The progressive rate we have now, the rich people pay more in terms of the percentage. Well, if you truly want fairness, everyone should pay the same rate. But the point here is, is that you can decrease tax rates and increase revenue to the government. Well, obviously, you can't do this. There's a limit to this. You can't go to a zero tax rate and have money coming into the government. But there's, there's, a, there's a point there that you can continue to decrease rates, and it'll generate so much economic activity that more money comes to the government than if you increase the rates. And socialism doesn't understand that. There's a ripple effect. The last thing that socialism doesn't seem to understand, well, there's many other things. The last thing I'm going to mention is the idea of supply and demand. It can't be dictated. You can't just dictate that people are going to want something. 
And scarcity is something that people don't seem to understand when it comes to socialism. Why are we paying Patrick Mahomes or why is the why are the Kansas City Chiefs paying Patrick Mahomes $50 million a year to throw a football around the field, but they only pay their teachers out there $50,000 a year? I mean, Mahomes makes $50,000 in the first 10 seconds of the game. How, how is that fair? How is that right? Because people don't understand scarcity and supply and demand. There are very few people that can do what Patrick Mahomes does. And many people want to watch it. So there is a high demand and a low supply of such people who can do that. It's very scarce. There's only, what, 32 really starting quarterbacks in the NFL, right? Why? Because it's a really hard job. It's really hard to do. You got to be really good and skilled to do it. And people want to see it. That's why the price is so high. Well, it may say something about our value as human beings, that we're more interested in football than teaching. But look, you can find a lot of teachers. There's a lot of great teachers out there. So the supply is way up. So you don't have to pay as much in order to get teachers to do what they do. You have to pay a lot to get Patrick Mahomes to do what he does. Now, we can argue over, you know, is that a good thing or bad thing for society? That's another question, morally. But it's just a supply and demand issue. All right, friends. We'll talk more about this in the future. I'm Frank Turek. Remember, treat everybody with respect, regardless of what you believe politically or what they believe politically. We're all made in the image of God. See you next week. God bless. If you benefit from this podcast, help others find it. Just go to iTunes or any other podcast service you might be using to listen and leave us a five-star rating on the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist podcast with Dr. Frank Turek. It will take you less than five seconds. You can also help a lot by leaving us a positive review for others to see. This podcast is available on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, and many other audio content delivery apps. Thank you and God bless.